Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Mike Jackson, he's the CEO of AutoNation. Um, I'm going to say one of the biggest car dealers in the world. Is that is that true globally, Mike? Are you guys one of the biggest in the world? Well, if there's life on other planets, we may not be being, be the biggest in the universe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think we are. I think we are. And we, <clears throat> to your point, I mean, think about it. We did $7 billion worth of revenue uh, in the second quarter this year. And the environment for vehicle sales is very good. Uh, you and I talked about it a year ago where I said, you know, with this yep. pandemic and shelter in place, America is reasserting its sense of independence, and they want to decide where they go, when they go, and how they go, and they want a personal vehicle. So demand is strong, and AutoNation's performance within that environment is uh, exceptional. But isn't it difficult have... to get um, inventory? Well, on the new vehicle side, there's no question that uh, the manufacturers – had a tremendous challenge to restart production, and I have to tip my hat to them. And then, earlier this year, they really got hit with the shortage on microchips. But uh, I would point out our shipments uh, in the second quarter doubled from a year ago, are only 6 to 7% down from 2019. Um, but demand is far, far higher. So it's not that the industry can't make anything. Uh, it's that this earlier point that I made that demand is very strong for vehicles, and that's both new and pre-owned. So, give us a sense here. You know, having a you know a little bit of a hindsight, are you surprised that the OEMs had that production difficulty? Still have that production difficulty? That that perhaps this just-in-time inventory may not may be too finely tuned. That a chip shortage of all things can halt Detroit? Well, it, 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 it's halting the world. So, yes. The entire just-in-time production system is being rethought because the relative cost of a chip versus the disruption to production is tremendously out of whack. And they're having meetings right now saying, why shouldn't we have more of, this, more of these chips on hand that you can't you can't bring the whole thing uh, to such a disrupted state. So that that is a fair point. Uh, what no one foresaw, though, is that again, going back to this god awful pandemic, two big consequences came out of that. The consumer reorient reorient their pocketbook towards their home. They wanted more space, larger space with more electronics, and they wanted personal vehicles both of which demand chips. So the demand for chips went up in the housing electronics industry at the same time it went up in the automobile industry. And therefore, we have this chip shortage. You can't build these microchip factories from one day to the next. They're extremely complex. And that then also asks another whole strategic question. Should we be so dependent, America, on microchips coming out of Southeast Asia. Yeah. Is this really where we want to be as a country? Yeah. So all of that's being rethought and rediscussed as a consequence of this pandemic. Well, and we're you know taking on a ton of debt in order to um, figure out what's going on here on a na national level. On a company level, you guys are just killing it right now. And it makes me uh, you know, wonder, 
uh, in a buyer's market, you're just struggling and competing and maybe you're borrowing to try and, uh, or, or, or margins are getting hit. Right now, um, you know, these are good times for you. Are you taking advantage of that to, you know, um, somehow retrench, somehow reorganize, somehow, you know, I mean, y- y- you have the money now, so are you, are you looking to change the business a little bit while, while we're in, the, while, while you have the gravy train? <laughs> I feel like we're doing more than running the gravy train. But uh, there's no question the environment for vehicles is good, and there's no question that uh, AutoNation is outperforming uh, tremendously in that uh, positive environment, and we've done it all. We've dramatically increased uh, revenue uh, with our brand and our customer experience and our digital platform. We use the digital platform to take out costs. Uh, we've reduced by, we're doing a much larger business with several thousand fewer employees because our digital tools are so strong and so uh, capable. We have aggressively uh, led the market in uh, supplying our our stores with pre-owned vehicles when we saw the shortages coming in new vehicles. Imagine our pre-owned business on a revenue basis is up 65% wow. year over year. Yeah, I would say that's grabbing the opportunity. <laughs> Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts. I mean, nobody has, you know, uh, a, you know, greater feel for where the consumer is, the auto buying consumer is right now. Just give us your thoughts on this whole EV uh, transition. How do you think it will proceed are you ever going to convince a you know a, a matt miller to go electric hmm. i'm not sure i have to so the inflection point for the migration let's use that word it's not a stampede it's a migration uh despite all the headlines from the internal combustion engine to electric battery electric vehicles is underway so let me put that in some sort of perspective though if i go out to 2030 which is a long time away i expect okay 20 25% of what's sold new will be all electric, uh, and the vehicles in operation in the United States, mm, 6, 7, 8% will be all electric. So this is not like going from the flip phone to the smartphone where you throw one thing away. The internal combustion engine vehicles have a lifespan of 25 years, something like that, are going to be have a useful life that somebody will pay for them and are of value to them. But I'm also not in denial. We love electric vehicles. We're going to sell electric vehicles. We offer them from all the manufacturers. They have great stuff coming, but it's going to be a gradual migration, not a stampede. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I, I'm going to get there eventually, but I'm waiting for, you know, the the new Raptor to come out, the Raptor R to come out. Okay. I want to get that. Yeah. You know, How about that Hummer? I could even maybe talk into that that we'll, Hummer, that all electric Hummer. Or we'll, we'll 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 wait. We'll wait. I I just need one more big V eight, and then I'm gonna switch switch okay. over. But Mike, it's yeah, always great to talk. My, I just bought my last V twelve, the last one made. I'm very happy. Very happy. Uh, v twelve. That's that's an, on, on another level. But of course, your stock's at an all time high, so oh, yeah. you can do that. Michael Jackson, there. He's the CEO of Auto Nation. Stock trading right now at 107. Yeah. Dollars and fifty three cents, as I said, in an all time high. It's it's an incredible chart to look at, um, and, and because the business has done so well, I'm always looking on the on the website, uh, and there is Drive Electrified right there on the yep. website. So they 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 are definitely uh, pushing and selling those cars. This is Bloomberg. Matt, when I was on the sell side. 
boy, you had to get to Pittsburgh at least once a year to see the good folks uh, at Federated uh, Federated Hermes. Now, I would tend to do it during uh, uh, baseball or hockey season, oh, yeah. so I could catch a game. Uh, RJ Gallo, Senior Portfolio Manager, Head of the Municipal Bond Group at Federated Hermes. He joins us. I was an equity guy, RJ, so I never bothered you. But boy, I look at the 10-year 1.20%. What do you make of this treasury market right here? Well, good morning, and I have my glasses on so I can see. Um, you know, it's been brutal. Uh, you know, frankly, we as a firm, especially the, the duration plot, which I'm the chair of, and we sort of assess what we think are the likely drivers of rates and position accordingly within our actively managed fixed income funds. Uh, we've had a pretty significant short on uh, for, for what I would say has been a painful pain trade. Um, I think initially markets... You're not alone. Trouble moving. Yeah, exactly. Markets have trouble moving. When everybody's positioned to one side of the boat, you know, it moves the boat. And, and so some of that is, is just sort of the way markets work. I think it's clearly been inflamed, however, by the, the fact that, the, that there was some sense that we're moving past COVID. Uh, the Delta variant uh, w- was, was not creeping up on the UK, but it certainly crept up on the United States in, in, in the last number of weeks. Um, that's not the only factor, though. You know, the U.S. has been a pretty good place to, to put money for yield for foreign investors. If you hedge out the FX risk, a yen or euro-based investors getting h- much higher yields here uh, than they are in their home markets. So there's been reasons that capital's found its way to our shores. We felt that that would be a temporary technical boost to Treasury prices and pushing yields down. Um, now, you know, with the Delta variant, it, it's, it's been a little humbling. We had a pretty good confidence that our call was going to work. Uh, drive driven by inflation and growth, and uh, there's a lot of headwinds to it right now. Yeah, I was talking to um, a portfolio manager this morning who was saying, you know, people should maybe buy treasuries as a hedge, um, as insurance in case everything goes wrong, but that has to be terrifying to do, especially at the long end, you know, because if then all of a sudden um, rates rise 100 basis points, you're out 25% of your capital. If he was talking about T-bills, where you're not taking a lot of price risk, I, I think he's got a point. But I'm with you. Like, it, to, to buy 10-year or 30-year treasuries as insurance, uh, that's insurance that could sort of burn you up if you don't have the house fire. I mean, th- th- that's just not prudent. Our view has been all along that even though real yields now have, you know, have returned to you know, basement levels, the 10-year tips right now are negative 111 basis points. The economy is not in that basement. These real yields fundamentally should not preside for much longer. That's right. J.P. Um, Morgan says these yields indicate an expectation of only a half percent GDP growth over the next 12 months, even though uh, the J.P. Morgan analysts who said that expect more than three and a half percent of GDP growth over the next 12 months. So what's... Yeah, there's a huge disconnect, I think, yeah. between what, has, what is an intact economic recovery with huge supports from fiscal policy that's still being spent, but albeit at diminishing rates. And this idea of peak growth makes very little sense. If you look at the charts for for 40 years, it is true that when you hit peak growth in an economic recovery, thereafter rates tend to somewhat decline. But at all those other periods, real yields were astronomically positive and high. You know, we are at a period now where real yields are shockingly low and negative. So attaching that explanation to this seems to be a bit of a reach. I think really this started as technical and now has become a concern as the COVID nightmare is still all very fresh in our minds and it's not yet over. I I do think some of it is capital flows, some of it is foreign flows, 
a good bit of it is short covering and pain trade. We still like being short, but I have to admit it's been humbling. We're looking for an opportunity to reassess at somewhat higher yields than today that make more sense in, in you know, the medium term than what we see on our screens right now. Yeah, it feels, it feels like a kind of a momentum-y type uh, market here, RJ. Is, is there something that you guys are looking for to perhaps reverse that momentum? Is it a data point? Is it perhaps an incremental positive data point on the Delta variant? Is it something technical? What are you looking for to perhaps turn this thing around? Well, well uh, up till even today, we've been feeling that, in, that repeated inflation prints will convince enough in the market to, that they need greater compensation for the inflation risk, which is clearly biased to the upside. That the transitory argument will apply to many components of the CPI and PCE, PCE but not enough of them. And inflation will be too strong relative to the Fed's own expectations. That's a narrative I think Powell almost has come around to. They're acknowledging that inflation risk is to the high side, and they're saying if it doesn't prove to be as transitory, they may act differently. So we felt that the inflation data, just the drumbeat of continued inflation, would sort of cast a shadow over the transitory argument and help reset yields to somewhat higher levels than where they are today. Still not you know, record levels. We thought that maybe the tenure would be closer to, say, 170 uh, come the end of you know, the third quarter, maybe 2% by the end of the year. And we haven't thrown the towel in on that. I do feel that the Delta variant story, as we head into the fall, I know it's still very much summer, but when you start getting more and more people inside we need the vaccination to take the narrative back. And right now, the, the vaccination narrative is on the wane. And instead, we're having more political controversy over vaccines. And you're seeing lower vaccinated areas get more cases. Yep. Hospitalizations have yep. picked up. While we're on Bitcoin, let's talk about TikTok. They launched a new resumes program in uh, here in the U.S., enabling people to post job um, resumes, uh, job pitches, or job, well, I guess, like apply for jobs um, with videos. Angie Hannum joins us. She's the global chief talent officer for RGA. And this is kind of like a new era, I guess, that we're entering. I would think you don't take somebody seriously if they give you a TikTok resume video, but I guess, you know, I'm just too old, Angie. Is this legit? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you, you say that because I had the same reaction at first um, and thought, would I even do such a thing since I have my nine-year-old begging for TikTok all the time? However, um, as I looked into it a lot further, it's, I think it's a pretty brilliant idea. What For me, it really allows companies to engage in a meaningful way. Um, I think it'll be for more of the Gen Z However, um, I've had a couple different people since TikTok launched this reach out to me, different platforms to talk about more integrative ways of hiring. And so I, I think that this, is, this could be a, you know, a place where people could get niche career advice. They also can really show who they are, which is what I love about it. People can be really authentic. And resumes are so much about what you've done versus what you can do. But I think I think this is I think it's it's a really interesting way for for companies to engage with talent. It does actually show topics. who you are, though. You know, I have to say, growing up um, here in New York, in in the great state of Ohio, and then moving to New York, I was always taught that you don't include a picture with a resume because you don't want that to influence. Now in Europe, it's a standard part of your. Um, oh, is it okay? Yeah, at least in Germany, yeah. it's 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 standard. But of course, everybody yeah. in Germany looks the same, right? <laughs> Are there going to be any issues with that, you think? You know, it, that's, it's a good question. I think time will tell. 
Um, I, you're right. Standard practice wasn't to have a, a picture on there. I think now more than ever with all the things going on in the world, um, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I do think it allows people to be more authentic and actually show some of their, you know, their true self. Angie, uh, I'm just looking here at the at the markets here. The Dow off just about 800 points here. We're keeping 2.2%. Angie, let's talk about just hiring in general here. We Matt and I hear from company CEOs all the time that they have a hard time uh, finding people to fill slots. Is it as simple as just paying people more money now? Oh, good question. We, you know, my industry, we're we're seeing seeing this. Um, it's it, it's not about just paying more money at all people after what we've gone through in the last year and a half people want choice they want flexibility we're still in a pandemic you know let's be honest and i think after the last year and a half people have spent a lot of time um thinking about what what they want to do and even within our own organization we've seen an uptick in our internal mobility program people wanting to um switch careers altogether moving into whole different departments and so i think i think we're going to have to companies are really going to have to not only give that flexibility but create more choices and more opportunity for people and money is something we're also seeing and they want to work remotely and they want to you know what they want they want your boss to be nice to you i read a story today about (laughs) some boss said you know he had a gun to his employees heads Obviously, he didn't really. That's a figure of speech. When I was a kid, that's what your boss said to you. <laughs> Apparently now, that's considered bullying, and it creates, I, I can't remember what they call it, a toxic culture. Toxic culture. That's yeah. bad, right? Yeah, that is bad. It is bad, yes. And it is It is happening more and more. Um, that Yes, people do want more of that flexibility. Again, it's, we've, everybody's been working from home over Zoom or you know, whatever platform people use. And, and so, yes, they, they do want some different, uh, different opportunities and they do want to see um, an environment where they can thrive. And, you know, I, ha- I have to agree. I think you get the best out of people when you're not holding a gun to their head. Yeah. Um, so well. I, I think, I think the company shifting a little bit more to a growth mindset is probably what we could call that. Just get over right now to Lewis Navalier. He's the chairman CEO and CIO of Navalier and Associates. And I guess, you know, the most important thing, well, I'd like to ask you, what is the most important thing to focus on this earnings season? Because it seems like, especially companies that have stable margins, that can pass on input costs, that can deal with inflation, are doing best. Correct. And the ones that provide strong guidance are definitely going to be rewarded. You know, this is peak sales and earnings momentum because of easy year-over-year comparisons. But those few stocks that will sustain strong sales and earnings momentum uh, should break out as leaders. I expect the market to become more narrow, more fundamentally focused. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate. We, we're, we have three weeks of very strong earnings coming out now, and that should help the market turn here. All right. When you get a day like today, Louis, uh, you know, again, we're off 2.3% on the Dow, uh, 1.9% on the S&P. Healthy one day short term pullback or are you reading anything more into this? Well, I have to watch the volume. If the volume's uh, high, it's going to continue. But we've been in an oscillating market for some time. So what I expect is we might get a reversal maybe as late as the last hour today. Um, a lot of it also depends on the ETF world. You know, ETFs do trade at um, premiums and discounts. And if those discounts today start to widen a bit, uh, that will cause an, uh, a panic in the ETF world. And so 
we don't want to see that because then the market would feed on itself. But, you know, the market's a manic crowd, and we just have to exhaust the selling pressure. So well, it'll be interesting to see how long it lasts. I mean, how mu- if I look at Treasury yields at 117, if I look at real yields at negative, what, 1.1% or even lower right now, yeah. that just freaks me out. You know, because like J.P. Morgan says, um, that means the bond market, and these is are supposed to be the smart guys, right? This is the smart money. <laughs> That's what we said in the in the 80s and the 90s. This is right. the smart money. Th- they're forecasting economic growth of 0.5% over the next year. So is that part of the sell-off? Uh, well, it's clearly the short-term oasis, okay? But yeah, we're all freaked out that inflation spiked and then interest rates fell. That's not normal. Um, I was personally freaked out by Thursday's uh, producer price index because 60% of it was service costs, and those costs aren't going to back off. So although we have oil and lumber and some other commodity costs backing off, uh, the core rate inflation is going to be stubbornly high, and I don't think it's going to be as transitory as the Fed wants. The other thing is we're definitely entering MMT. Uh, our, our government is doing what Europe's doing, and the problem is that means we may be on the road to negative rates. And... Uh, so there's a fight for yield. Um, you know, the corporate d- demand for bonds is unbelievable. And um, I've been saying that, you know, corporate yields might be shoving treasury yields lower. But nothing makes any sense right now. But when the dust settles, stocks are great buys. And, of course, the stock market yields more than uh, bonds. And stocks are still um, uh, tax advantaged. All right, Louie, I've been trying to get my colleague, Tom Keen, an entry point into this market. So when you get some of those panic phone calls, which you may get on a day like today, do you tell folks to say, hey, we're still constructive on this market? Look, this is as, as perhaps a buying opportunity. What do you, what do you say? I tell the, I, and I do have those calls today, um, and I had some last week. I tell everybody that um, institutional buying pressure did uh, ebb last week after the inflation numbers. And I tell everybody the shorts love to try to, to squeeze the strong socks just before earnings come out. But when earnings do come out, they'll run for cover. And uh, we'll be sorting all this out here very quickly. So, um, you know, we are grossly oversold right now. So we're going to bounce, and the market's actually oscillate. So if you're brave, you can jump in today. Uh, otherwise, wait for the volume to dry up and then jump in. So the market, I mean, buy the dip has been a strategy that works well. Um, you, you, you've been a winner if you've been practicing that strategy, but um, short treasuries hasn't. What do you do in fixed income? You do dividend growth is what you do. You can get a yield of three, four. Um, uh, you want to buy stocks that double their dividends every six, seven years. So that could be, you know, Costco, Kroger, uh, Seagate Technology. You know, there's plenty of stocks out there. That, you, uh, that have very nice yields and that are going to continue to grow their dividends. But do you think that we're going to see um, treasuries yields continue to fall? If we are doing modern monetary theory, which is unlimited money printing, yes. And uh, I asked Ed Yardini that personally a few weeks ago because, you know, I subscribed to services. And he admitted that we are doing modern monetary theory. I asked him when we're going to have negative rates, and uh, he, he couldn't grasp that yet. And I don't think any of us can. But look what happened in Europe. Look how Britain yeah. resisted negative rates, and now their rates are negative. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. 
You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.